0: You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. The title of the message is Jesus, Lover and Fighter. Jesus, Lover and Fighter. There is kind of a rhythm that we want to talk about, and that is that you go into worship and you go into battle. You go into battle, you go into worship. You go into worship, you go into battle. And a lot of that is related to if you love something or if you love someone. If you love someone, you're going to fight for them. You're going to protect them. You're going to want to be with them. If you love someone, you don't love someone, well, then blow them off, I suppose. (laughs) Maybe be kind and nice. But if you love a church, you love the Lord. He loves you. And so Jesus is a lover, and he's a fighter. Think about all the ways in which God fights. He fights according to the rules of his kingdom. Paul would use an illustration in in 2 Timothy and talk about uh, somebody who's who's actually boxing and uh, fighting, excuse me. And he would actually use an illustration like that about uh, an athlete competing according to the rules. There's actually rules within his kingdom in terms of how God does battle. We know that. We have all kinds of different athletic competitions so we can understand that analogy that Paul was using. So as we talk about Jesus being lover and fighter, there are a few things we want to say to begin. So first... And by way of reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 6 says that we have weapons. So Christ's followers and Christian people in the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have weapons. Do you know that? You know your weapons? So Paul's teaching to the Corinthian church, to us as well, is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Everybody say carnal. Our warfare is not carnal. Our weapons are not so we don't fight like everybody else. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 6 and on. Paul would talk to the Ephesians, and he would teach the Ephesians related to spiritual warfare and the fact that we worship on Sunday, we do battle on Monday, we do battle on Monday, we go back into worship. Paul would say that our battles are not against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. There are actually something called powers and principalities and schemes of darkness and wicked places. And so, as a Christ follower, you do have these spiritual oppositions that you can feel from time to time. Not every day is that, not every season is that, not even for church life, but it is that. And you know it. Just try and follow Jesus. I just try and say, say, oh, I know, I want to show up with Pastor Rick at a prayer meeting and watch all hell break loose, right? You know, get sick, a car will break down, you know, somebody cuts you off, uh, all of a sudden you get mad, huge temptations to sin, all kinds of lust and love, whatever the case is, and you said, geez, I just wanted to go to a prayer meeting. Our battle, church, is not against flesh and blood against rulers, powers, principalities, schemes in dark places. And the cross is victorious over every single one of those. They have no need to fear. And so we bind together as a church. We come together as a church declaring that, that which we know is true, that which has been proven true, that which we know is true. We also fight for one another, contend for one another, Jesus, by way of introduction, so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Jesus is, says our battles are not against flesh and blood. Third, you need to understand that Jesus likes to pick fights more than you realize. Did you know that? It's really fascinating. He does it all kinds of different ways. Sometimes he just asks you to stand. You go, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just standing, Lord, I'm just standing, and, uh, and there's all kinds of battle around me. It looks to me like you asked me to stand, and a whole fight broke out all around me, spiritually, and all of that. Sometimes he asks you to sit. You go, okay, Lord, I'll sit. And you sit. You sit in a place of righteousness with the Lord. And then there's all kinds of battles swirling around you. You go, well, Lord, what gives? I'm sitting. <laughs> then sometimes he asks you to walk, right? So you stand, you sit, you walk. And it's a rhythm. And then you walk, and you go, well, I'm just walking. I'm just trying to walk this narrow road. And there's battle all around you. Jesus likes to pick fights more than you realize. You understand that in the Old Testament related to Exodus, you know this church, right? You know Exodus. That the Lord picked a fight with Pharaoh. And that refrain, it's really popular in plays and in literature, and it's, it's actually really cheeky. It's very fun. It's, you know, let my people go. And so he picked a man that he sovereignly chose to enter into the kingdom's royalty, find out about his roots. This is Moses, that you're really a Hebrew slave. You're not just a Hebrew. You're actually a slave. You actually have no civil rights. You have no money. You got nothing. And then he leaves 40 years away from that place. He's way, way gone. No more slavery, nothing. He's married. He's happy. He's free. He's free. He's a wealthy farmer at this point. He's doing fine. He has friends. He has family. He has money. He's leaving all that slavery behind. Have you ever left slavery behind? Ever left bondage behind? Ever left guilt and shame behind? And then somehow years later, the Lord asks you to face it? He looks at Moses. He says, so so Moses, I'm going to take out Pharaoh. Great. Do it. No, yeah, like, so Moses, I want you to go on a long walk again. No, no, no. I walked out of that place. <laughs> I, I, I came out of that place. I don't even want to go there anymore. And by the way, that man was once my brother, and he don't like me. I don't like him. I don't think it's going to go well. No. So by the way, how are we going to win this battle? You're just going to walk in there, and uh, you got a stick. And uh, then you're going to say, uh, yeah, it's time for you to let my people go. And so I want you to do it. And then if you know the Exodus account, right, Moses, just like all of us, lots of excuses, lots of saying. Basically, when you read the Exodus account early on, Moses is saying, no, you got the wrong guy. I don't like that. I don't want that. Please say no, God. Don't ask me of that. Could you please send somebody else? And you know what the Lord said? No. You go do it. You go do it. I will be with you. And so our battles are sometimes like that. You know, sometimes sometimes there's a little sissy inside all of us, right? That's a nice 70s word in case you're wondering. (laughs) Sort of speaks of the generation of my birth. And and the Lord wants to cure you of that, heal you of that, call you out of it. And He likes to pick fights more than you might realize. There's a phrase... I'll give you one reference, and we'll get back to our primary text. There's a phrase in Proverbs 21, verse 31, and it says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord. So that phrase, the battle belongs to the Lord, you've probably heard that phrase, yes, church? In some way, shape, or form. There are more than 100 references of that phrase in the Bible. But think about how, you know, thick we, how hard we are to get that message straight. God has to put it in the Bible more than a hundred times. The battle belongs to the Lord, but I'm going to send you in the battle. I'm going to send you in the battle, but the battle's mine. I'm going to send you in the battle. Battle belongs to the Lord. More than a hundred, more than a hundred references to that. When you think about this, you have to understand that God is going to do it. He's gonna walk with you through it. He's gonna be with you in it. Let's get into, uh, let's get into Acts. Acts chapter two, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That will be the primary outline I'll follow. But I want you to see the rest of the effect here. And all came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. That's so beautiful. Selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. Day by day, look at that, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking. Bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Those are being saved. So that is that is really revolving around something called Pentecost in Acts chapter two, verse one and on. I will not exhaustively read those sections just to know that there was a day in which the Holy Spirit had not landed on the church because the church didn't exist because Jesus had not gone to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, resurrected on the third day, that's Easter, and 40 days later, Jesus is doing all kinds of ministry. He's resurrected from the dead, and his body's very different, very, very similar to what we're like in heaven all kinds of teachings, all kinds of appearances. And then he gathers his tribe together, and he says, it's now time for me to go. You wait in Jerusalem. It's going to be great, but you got to stay here. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to land upon you. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. That would seem ridiculous to say. That would sort of be like saying to us, hey, Ranch Church, give your life to Jesus. You guys are all going to build a rocket ship and go to Mars. Right? I mean, you know, what's a probability? Uh, look, I love you guys. There's people here smarter than I, and you all better, really good-looking. But, you know, let's get real here. What's the probability that all of you guys are going to work together and build a rocket ship that's going to go to Mars, right? It's not going to happen. And uh, if it does happen, I'm not getting in, right? So, <laughs> so that, that's like the insanity of a comment like that. You're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world. You're going to not just leave this locale locally, but you're actually going to take the gospel and spread the kingdom throughout the entire known world. And by the way, I am with you always, always to the end of the earth. Jesus asked them to wait. And in the Bible, if you're a student of the Bible, you realize Peter famously was not someone who waited. So if you don't wait, you have really good company. Uh, Peter constantly, seemingly, said sort of off cuff and sometimes directly to the Lord the wrong things. And uh, Jesus sometimes would actually really, really correct him, really rebuke him. Uh, in fact, he, he said, one time said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, uh, which is a really strong statement. But now, now, Jesus says, now you're going to stay here and I ascend into heaven. He watches it physically happen. They're so in awe when he's, they're watching this manifestation of Jesus to heaven. Angels are there who say, well, he's going to come back just like that. And so Peter, now this is a new sanctification on him. Peter says, okay, Jesus said, wait, we're going to wait. We're not going to go in a small little house, and we're going to wait there. And they would wait 10 days. So if you thought you were indoor for COVID or something like that and you had to wait, that might give you some feeling of what it feels like to just be cooped up, only these were very, very very small homes. And then waiting. Well, what are we doing waiting around? Oh, well, Peter said we had to wait because the Holy Spirit's going to land upon us. What's the Holy Spirit? I don't know. All I can sense is that that is a, a part of God that was operating within Jesus, so we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and 10 days go by. The Holy Spirit lands, and it has a a very unique physical manifestation, like a tongues of fire is the only thing that the Bible can describe. It's using, trying to figure this out. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Well, it's like this strong wave. It's like like this sort of thing that captured the atmosphere and was so palatable. It was like a tongue of fire. It rested upon the heads of every single person, and they actually spilled out in their community, and everybody thought they were drunk so much so that they're accused of that. Peter stands up and says, are you kidding me? We're not drunk. You guys are whacked. That's Pastor Rick Soto's version. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. We're actually anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, everyone's going to be quiet, and we're going to preach the gospel and tell you exactly how it goes. And he does. And he's right there amongst the power brokers who put Jesus on the cross a month or two earlier, and he has the audacity. This is all the story of lengthy teaching there in Acts chapter 2 earlier. And he says, and you people put him on the cross. You think about that. And he says, but you basically didn't know what you were doing except fulfilling the plan of God. This Jesus, who you know is now resurrected from the dead, and he has sent us the Holy Spirit now to go out and preach the gospel. And when he's done preaching the gospel, they say, what do we need to be saved? He tells him, give your life to Jesus right now, and thousands do. And the backstory of that, now the church is suddenly growing, and we come in to the teaching which you find here. Peter, we'll start out by talking about the apostles' teaching. This is what the church did. So if you want to know an outline and kind of follow me, you know, I talked about Jesus, lover, and fighter. All right, so if you're going to be this lover and fighter, you have to train for it. And so by way of outline, call this training to win. As we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because these four elements are what we as a church do and what Christians do, in a sense, to train to win. So, apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Jesus is God. Jesus is actually God, God in human flesh. He's the creator and master of the universe, according to Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He is saying, as that master and creator of the universe, the apostles' teaching is saying this in Psalm 139, verse 14, that every human is God's child. Every human is God's child. Psalm 139, verse 14. Therefore, God's children are not for sale. That became popularized in culture, and it's a good phrase. So God's children are not for sale. God's children, you know, adult children little children. We are not, we are not allowed, and God will not allow society to give us over to perversion. We're supposed to say no to that in all of its different ways. We are not for sale. The devil has no claim on your life. None. You in Christ, if you're in Christ, have authority over the evil one. God's children are actually not for sale in any way, shape, or form. Next, God is working, according to John chapter. 5 verse 17, God is actually working. This is all part of the apostles' teaching. Pastor, what did the apostles teach the early church that would make them so victorious? Jesus is God. You are God's child. This is actually a family. And our children are not for sale. You have to understand that in a current context now. You have to understand this in a current context then. Then there were no civil rights Depending upon the context, in various lands or people groups, and even within uh, corners of Rome, they would just take your family. Do you have a very nice daughter, good-looking daughter? Well, some magistrate might be sweet on her and just take her at the age of 13, 14, 15. you have a, a very you know, healthy-looking young boy, very masculine, very capable? Are you a Jew? Well, maybe they just take him. Into slavery. I need another fit person here. Maybe you get a nickel for him. Never see him again. No right of redress. The church was taught to say no to that. Not allow that kind of thing to happen. Bind together. Band together. God is working, they were taught. In John chapter 5 verse 17 So, Jesus violates these social, spiritual norms of that day by actually healing somebody on the Sabbath. And you got to imagine a kind of a homeless person. They've got a mat, that mat is picked up, person is healed. They're walking on Sunday, you know, church day. This actually be the Sabbath, so it'll be Saturday. They go, wait, you can't be like, you know, carrying your backpack. That would be a modern way of thinking about it because you're not supposed to be doing work on the Sabbath. The guy goes, I don't know. This guy just healed me, and he said, pick up your backpack and walk. I go, who is that guy? Well, I don't I don't know who that guy is. What, you don't know the guy who heals you? I mean, come on. He goes, no, no, I mean, look, at, look at I was on the ground. I was out. I wasn't paying attention. He healed me. You know, I didn't even know who to thank. Then he finds Jesus later and goes, that's the guy who did it. That's the guy who did it. So now they're all going to go and give Jesus a hard time. They're actually going to begin a whole series of things to try and kill Jesus early. And Jesus says, no, nah, you can't touch me. Here's a deal. You know how I healed them? Tell you how I healed them. Where my father is working, this is John chapter 5, verse 17. I'm working. Take note of this. I know I'm asking you to, you know, bring journals and handwrite, but if you got to make a digital note, then do it. Find out where God is working and join him. It's Very obvious expressions of where God is working. Find out where God is working and join him. Apostles' teaching is to teach about the kingdom of God. To teach that spirituality in Christ is real. To teach that supernatural power is real. To teach that the invisible world is real. And this is all elementary. This is all very basic, The 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 plumb line goes so much deeper now that is a version of the apostles teaching next related to fellowship this is all under training to win so the church the church it was underneath the apostolic teaching of all the doctrinal truths and they applied that to their life and they saw a tremendous victory next fellowship they actually entered into fellowship and hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says we are not to forsake the gathering of us as brethren So the word gather is actually sometimes translated, that word assembly, and it's actually what we're doing right here. We're actually in one place. So I know there's other teachings, and we're doing it right now for those who can't make it. Right now, you know, we have an online service with Pastor Clay, experimenting with, okay, if you couldn't make church, then we'll go online, and we'll give you some biblical teachings and fellowship there. That is not doctrinally biblical church. It's what you do to minister to somebody, right? It's what you do. This is what you do. Our our meeting, we had a meeting before this uh, church where we actually had like a a brunch gathering where some were invited to meet the pastors and all of you will be invited at some time. We're gonna do this once a month. It was a really nice social time and uh, small groups that we have during the week. That's another version. But gathering means being in person, face-to-face, touching noses, eyeballing one another, That's what gathering means. Jesus said, don't ever, ever stop that. Your gathering together like this is actually sacred. Maybe it doesn't always feel like it. It is. Your gathering is actually sacred. The word forsake is really interesting. It's actually a word that I've been sort of diving into, but the original word there, again, I'm cross-referencing Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 the idea of forsaking is the idea that you become helpless if you do so if you forsake something it becomes the other translation sometimes like a desert you actually become you actually become like a desert you dry up you if you forsake this assembling you you actually begin to have very serious spiritual problems Jesus from the cross would actually cry out Uh, My uh, father, why have you forsaken me? And that idea of forsaken is what Jesus needed to experience to pay the penalty for sin. So he cries that word out from the cross. Well, I don't know what kind of little girls you were or little boys you were. And just in terms of my own humanity, uh, you know, your pastor is a little bit of an experimenter. And so I can remember being a boy and I'm sure I'm not the only one who did this. And I really liked playing with super glue. Now, I'm not talking about sniffing or anything weird like that. But I remember taking it off, and, you know, I got some super glue, and I glued something together on my bike. Oh, that's awesome. It stayed. It stayed right where I wanted to. So now, do we just stop there? No, no. I put some on my finger. Did I put a little bit on my finger? No, no. Pastor Rick Soto couldn't have just put a little drop on his finger. Remember, he's not Pastor Rick Soto then. All right, so I put a big golf. I go, oh, that's great. I'm just looking at it. And then I I go, okay, I'm going to put a little bit more there. I'm going to put a little bit more here. Put a little bit more there. Now, what happens if I go like that? Right? And so at first, of course, you can kind of go like this, and then it, it sticks together. It makes like a little image. You go, oh, that's great. Maybe we should put a little bit more on. Maybe we should put a little bit more on. And all of a sudden, you go, whoop. You go, and you try to open up. And of course, you do what any boy does, right? Does he ask for dad first? No. You know why? Dad's going to say, leave it. Right? My mom's going to fix it. So then I go My mom you know, and try and fix it. And to this day, I'm not even sure how she got it off. Uh, but, you know, we got it all off, obviously, and it wasn't too much damage. Church gathering together is to be a super glue in your soul. It's supposed to be really sticky. It's supposed to bind us together and create friendship and create love and create beauty We get to hear each other's story. We get to know each other's testimonies. We get to cheer one another on and weep for one another and go through the seasons of life. We get to watch us come out of darkness and, and all of a sudden come into light and to, and to see that we didn't have certain things. And, and you know, we went through hardship and travail Sometimes there's loss, actual loss, and sometimes there's feelings of loss. And so we're just side by side with one another through all of that journey. And then, and then now there's seasons of light, love, and friendship, and marriage, and rebirth, and starting over again. Yes, and then there's a community of faith and people that cheer you on with that. I remember when you experienced all of this loss and darkness and all of that, and I watched God put you back together. Now, look at where we're at today, and we're all celebrating. Continue on the journey. As a pastor, I'll just include these comments and I'll go on to breaking of bread and prayer. It breaks my heart, it truly does to see what has happened sometimes to our church and the North American church at the actual dismissal of fellowship amongst Christians. This is not a small thing. When the Savior says, I go to the cross to die for you so that you can be born again and enter into a new family to open yourself up to love and giving, And to watch people say, I'd rather stay home and watch online. I'd rather, you know, check it out on my phone. Uh, I'll take an Instagram, you know, moment or a TikTok 30 second. And actually be deceived into thinking that that is some sort of spiritual fruit which will change their life. And what has happened in the North American culture, it's why, it's why I started weeks ago in saying, church, do yourself a favor, reject North American culture. So North American culture validates that, makes money off of it, thinks that it's good, and if you drink from that well, you will die and be poisoned. Hear me now. Our fellowship. Or friendship is sacred. It's nothing to be easily broken. It's not a small thing to actually be part of church. I understand we have concentric circles here. Some of you here for the first time, or you're thinking, Do I even like that pastor? I, I, I get it all. That's fine. You gotta be planted in a church that you want to die for and go through all the seasons. Let that be part of your story and testimony. If you are here as part of the original, if, you, if you're part of the original church planning families that joined our church, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. That's you guys right there, Wait, right? So we have a good group still around. They can tell you incredible stories. Laughter, incredible highs, significant lows, many tears, true friendship. You want to be in on that. And you want to go on that journey. And you want to be a giver in that. Okay, everybody say amen. Amen. Okay, I'll move from that point. We're not done. (laughs) Breaking of bread. So the breaking of bread is really fairly simple. The breaking of bread is called you know communion or holy communion in certain places. It's oftentimes called the Lord's Supper. I tend to go back and forth with all of those terms. It's fine, but it's actually it's actually sacred. It's fine to call it holy. So fine to call it holy communion, even though other kinds of churches use those phrases. that's fine. So. I'll tell you what I enjoy doing. Some people sometimes are shut in and sick. We have a couple of families who are doing this for, and I really enjoyed uh, not long ago uh, calling them up and you know this is a family they're 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 you know she's she's getting really ill, and so I, I go hey I'm gonna bring you communion, so you know I go get grape juice, grape juice. I know some of you guys are wine. That's right. So I knew what I was going to do. I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. So I actually took a week. I got a hymn out of my old hymn book, and I practiced singing my hymn. <laughs> I don't know if that helped, but it helped me. I go in, we chat, all of that. Thanks, Pastor, for coming over. Um, others from church have been over. Hey, guys, want to read this verse? Just have a simple cracker, want to break bread. Uh, you know, got a little cup here of juice for you, juice for me. And uh, so we're going to read a verse, we're going to break bread, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing a hymn together. That's actually, that's actually, you know, worship is not singing. Worship is the totality of following Christ. Worship is the totality of giving your life to Jesus, that's why you pay attention to it. And so, so we're going to sing as part of this worship. And so we sing out loud. I don't, know, I don't know what it would have sounded to anybody else on the outside. I believe I know what it sounded to, to Jesus on the inside. And we cried together. I don't know why. We weren't sad. You know, you ever, you ever been in your humanity close to someone in a tender moment that's positive, but it, it's kind of weepy and tearful? Well, if you haven't, you need to get there. Because <laughs> that's called love. It's called love. Love has those moments in it. We get notes back when we do that. Pastor, that changed our lives. We just thank you. What a gift to be able to journey with others and give them communion that way. And to participate in the manner that we're talking here. Breaking bread sacred. This is what they train themselves for. Lastly, prayer. Let me run for home here. So prayer is talking, listening, and connecting to God. You can take those words home with you. In listening to God, connecting to God, God will never contradict his word, which is why you need to know the word. God gave you the word so that you can know prayer. I'm going to give you in Matthew chapter six here as we wind down, I'm gonna give you a, 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 a simple prayer the apostles and disciples came to Jesus, and they said, hey, we want to learn how to pray like you pray, because when you pray, stuff really happens, and it's, imp- it's impressive. And so Jesus would actually start out, he says, fine, I'll teach you how to pray, I'll teach you how to pray. He said, our Father in heaven, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, our Father in heaven. Can you say that out loud with me, church? Amen. Hallowed be your name. That word is holy. That's what it means. It's an old English way. I realize the phraseology might not be familiar, but it means that the actual name of God is actually holy, which is why you don't mess with it. You acknowledge it. You don't in common parlance, you know, take God's words and and, and dumb it down. Whole entertainment industry is cursed for doing that. Not to do that. God's name is holy sacred. You call upon it to be saved. You call upon it to be delivered. You call upon it for supernatural power. It's holy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Amen. Responsorial reading is not Catholic, it's apostolic. It goes back to the very origins of Judaism where you read a psalm like this out loud. That's what that prayer effectively is. And the response was that God's people would respond back at a minimum by saying those words back because those words were holy. I want to emphasize only for the moment, verse 9 and 10, where we're, Scripture is going to say, on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, using common language, there's no psychological dysfunction. To bring it home more personally, there's no sexual problems. To be really to the point, there's no addictions. No depression. Praise the Lord Jesus. No poverty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no anger, thank God, in heaven as on earth. Are you sad? That's fine. Then we pray and we say, God, if I'm not to be sad in heaven, then bring the manifestation of that now down to earth for your glory. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands, but ever deal with, you know, like social anxiety kind of things? It's really just your own paranoia and things inside of you that just get the better of you, and so you're not going to be part of those groups. You're going to retreat, or you've got your own things going on, and so you have these kind of dysfunctions in your head. In heaven, you got none of those. So, Lord Jesus, I'm dealing with social anxiety right now. I'm dealing with all of these inside travails. Then bring it, bring it on earth here that I not, that I overcome those things and, and so that you be glorified. Need money? You're not poor in heaven. Not talking about all God's people gonna be Bill Gates, but I'm just saying, do you need money? God, if you have. Physical, financial sustenance for me in a victorious manner in heaven. Then let it be manifest on earth. Let it glorify you. You get it, church? Right after this, in chapter seven, Jesus will teach, and he's and they'll ask more about it, and you say, "Ask, knock, ask, knock." Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is connecting to God. And God loves you, and he fights for you, and he is inviting you to get into the arena. He's inviting you to get into the barn. (laughs) He's inviting you to come out from wherever you're at and get into the circle of life where he is, not where you are. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to respond to Jesus Christ. So church, we come together. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come now. And we pray, God, that in the manner that we've read about, as in the day of Pentecost, visit us so here, that by the kindness of your grace, but the truth of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit that you would visit us, speak sweetly to us, control and guide us. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.